As we uh, read the scripture reading today, I want you just to remember that these are God's words and God's thoughts that he gave to people so that we would have them today. If you're reading it from a Bible in your pew right there, we will be on pages 1023, 1024. The scripture today is Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the, disciple, or send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We here have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. When he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men besides the women and children. And we believe that God will bless his word today. launched a new series last week called Legacy, talking about the legacy of our church and asking the question, what will be our legacy? The people who call Cypress Street Church of God their home church these days. The scripture that's in that passage, uh, in that uh, sermon intro that we just watched, is also on our wall just outside. You probably walk past it every day, every Sunday when you come to church. There's a little stone out there that has that passage from Ephesians on it. It reminds us that we who are here are more than just this place. That this spot here at 1401 Cypress Street Church of God is not the church. We are the church. And that passage says that God is building a living temple, a living church. That His Spirit in us means that He dwells in us. And that's what the temple was. The temple was to be the place where God dwelt, where heaven met earth. And now heaven meets earth in us. Isn't that incredible? And so we... Uh, we are charged with a mission, as we've talked about over the past weeks and in our kingdom series. But, you know, what, what are we going to do with that? What are we 
what are, what's going to be our legacy? And we talked about how it's got to be more, you know, we want it to be more than just, you know, a few years from down the road that there will still be a place here with a name on the sign that looks good. Uh, it's got to be more than survival. Alright, it's got to be, we said, our desire is not to survive, but to thrive. To be difference makers in people's lives, in our community. That's what we want to be known for. That's the legacy that we want to leave, isn't it? Not that, not that we left a pretty building still standing, but that we left lives changed by the power of God. Because we were faithful to the mission He called us to. And so we're excited about what God's doing around here at Cypress Street Church of God. And, and we recognize that to be a church that thrives, to be a church that is a difference maker in this culture, in this day and time, does not just happen automatically. And you can look around and you can see dozens of churches just in our region that are declining and dying. And, and churches every day in our country die. I think that the statistic is like nine churches or something a day. Cease to exist. So to be a church that is thriving, that's making a difference in people's lives today, does not just happen by happenstance. And so we know that there will be sacrifices involved. We know that there will be work involved. And so that's why we've put our hands to the task, so to speak. But we also know that no amount of human effort is going to change somebody's life the way it needs to be changed. And ultimately, to be a church that thrives and not just survives, to be a church that truly makes a difference in people's lives, we've got to have the Holy Spirit's involvement in what we're doing here and what we're after as a church. So That's got to be part of our legacy, if it's going to be a living legacy. And so we pray, don't we? We work as if it all depended on us. We work hard. But we ultimately know that it all depends on God and His Spirit. And so we pray earnestly for God to work through us in the ministries of this church. We pray that by His Spirit one day will be, well, in every day, that will be increasingly and increasingly known as a church that cares deeply, that lives out their faith boldly, with Jesus as their subject, unashamedly. And so over the next few weeks, starting today, we're going to kind of break that statement down and look at each part of that, starting with caring deeply today. We believe, and if you've been around here very long, you've heard me say that when we care deeply for people, especially the people that don't expect us to, or especially the people that our society doesn't do a good job showing care to, in those moments where we care deeply, we put the love of Christ on display to the world. And that's the subject of today's message. You know, uh, sometimes... We, uh, after church, will go out to eat, right? Many of us do. Uh, one of the places that, that Julie and I like to go is called Joel's Cafe. You know where that is? It's on 7th Street in the bottom of the closest thing to a skyscraper that West Monroe has, right? 
and uh, and there's a little cafe in there, and the lady that runs it is is friendly. And uh, the other day we were in for lunch, and came in with Hadley, and we all sat down, and we ordered our food, and we're waiting, and here comes the owner with uh, a fruit cup for Hadley that we didn't order, and she informed us that she had removed all the melons. Because last time Hadley did not eat the melons. She ate everything else but loved that. So this time she just removed those in advance for us and handed us. Now that is service, friends. <laughs> and isn't it amazing? You know, do you know, you probably know a business like that. I mean, where you go, and like even if the food wasn't good, you know, you go because of the way they care. You just, you feel valued, you know, and cared for. Uh, some businesses, you know, do a good job of that. Others, not so much. Uh, we went to a, my father-in-law and I actually dropped off a U-Haul truck at a drop-off. I won't tell you where, because this one's not a good review. <laughs> but um, we dropped it off, and we had neatly folded the blankets that we had rented. You know, they tell you to do that, so we did. And we dropped it off. And the guy came out and he started counting the blankets and piling them up to take them in. And he was kind of brisk about it. And we just kind of stood back and let him do his thing. And uh, suddenly he'd stacked them too high and they all fell over and came unfolded and stuff. And he kind of threw a tantrum <laughs> right there in front of us and said, Ah, oh, forget it. Just come on in. And so we followed him on in and, and he's you know, doing the paperwork and whatnot. And another guy pulls in with his truck outside the window, you know, and he, the guy watches him and he says, what? No! Don't park there, idiot! And I mean, he's just, <laughs> so, you know, you've got customers standing here. You know? And what was really funny about this whole experience was at the end of it, he said, now here's a card, and if you could fill out this survey and give us a five-star review, that helps us get business here. <laughs> Really? <laughs> oh, it was the only smile we saw out of him that day was when he asked for his five-star review. But we've all had experiences like that, right? With businesses that we go to. And, and like I say, I mean, there's probably places that you go where the product isn't even that great. But when you go, you feel great. So you go, you know, for a subpar product because you get that quality care. And when you find a place... Um, that combines both the quality and the care, uh, then it's a, it's a winning combination. That's what a lot of folks attribute Chick-fil-A's success to, that it's not actually the cow advertisements, which we all think are hilarious, probably, or you're sick of by now, uh, one or the other. But it's that when you go, you get a consistent product, and you get consistent care. And... The few businesses that manage to figure that out, you know, are beating customers away with a stick, it seems like, you know. And so I think that it's interesting. We all get this and we all experience this from day to day when we go to businesses and do things like that. And yet sometimes we forget that this same principle matters at church. And that if someone feels cared for, then they're going to want to be there because every time they go, they feel cared for. And see, I, I just have this hunch that there's a lot of businesses out there 
who really do care. And if you asked them, hey, you know, if you asked that guy at the U-Haul truck place, you know, and you said, do you care at all about the customers that you work with each day? He'd say, yeah. (laughs) But the customers don't feel cared. And I think there's a lot of churches out there who, if you asked them, do you care? Do you care about a world that's lost? Yeah. But when those people come in their church, they don't feel cared. I heard it quote something like, uh, it went something like, a warm fellowship doesn't equate to a friendly church or something like that. You know, that, that a lot of churches, they're friendly with one another. So they say, yeah, we've got a friendly church. But when someone from the outside comes in, someone new visits, you know, then they leave feeling like they weren't cared for, you know. And, and we never find out because we never follow up with them or whatever. I'm not saying that our church is that way. I'm just saying... Wouldn't we say that we've got the best product in the world? Jesus Christ, right? And if a church manages to figure out a way to show consistently that to people, no matter who they are or what they look like or where, what situation they've come from that walks through this, these doors or that we encounter throughout the week, wherever we may be or wherever we may be serving or wherever you may work or wherever you may find yourself, when the church manages to show a deep, deep level of care that people don't find many places in this world and you pair that up with a product that's unparalleled product that's got to be a winning combination right and I think that when you look at Jesus and you look at what he did in his life and you look at every interaction that he had with people whether it's a large group of people like we read about today or a one on one Moment, you find without fail that Jesus knew how to care for people. That somehow or another, when someone who was hurting and broken or just seeking answers ran into Jesus, it was a life changing moment. And inevitably, they left feeling cared for in a way they had never felt cared for before. And today's story that we read is no different. It's a famous story, famous miracle. Many of us know it, even if we don't frequent church that often. The feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the multitude or whatever you may have grown up calling it. And if I asked you some quick facts today, you could probably tell me, like, how many fish were there? How many fish were there? Two. How many loaves of bread? How many people were there? Yeah, plus uh, women and children, which weren't counted in the 5,000 total, so who knows. But how many baskets were left over? Look at that. We've got at least four people in here that know this story front and back. We know a lot of the facts of the miracle. A lot of the details. Uh, Those are maybe easy to remember, but sometimes I think we forget maybe the most essential facts of the story or the most pertinent facts of the story. Because I don't think what Jesus was trying to teach that day was that there were five loaves and two fish and twelve baskets left over. Did you know what happened right before this event? Um... 
many of Jesus' disciples had been disciples of another man before Jesus came along. That man was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, but also more than that. John the Baptist was the one who paved the way for Jesus' coming and his ministry on earth. So much so that many of the disciples that John the Baptist trained later went on and followed Jesus and became Jesus' apostles. And in the moments just before we read about the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus gets word from the disciples that had still been with John, who had been in prison for a while, that John had been beheaded. How many people have you known that have been beheaded? I can imagine that that news would hit you pretty hard. And in that moment, they had been doing ministry, and everywhere Jesus went, crowds went. And so Jesus, sometimes you see where he's working hard to get some alone time, you know. And this is one of those cases. They get the news. You know Jesus, it seemed to hit him hard. But you know it also had to hit his disciples hard. Like I say, many of them had known and followed John the Baptist. He was their first mentor, if you will. And so Jesus says, let's go. Let's get away. And when, and when they had to get away, they got in a boat. And they got out on the Sea of Galilee. It's hard for thousands of people to follow you. <laughs> and they travel across this sea, thinking they're going to find a lonely spot somewhere across the way. And just have some time to process, to grieve, to deal with this news. And they get there. See, it says, verse 13, when he heard what happened, he withdrew privately to a solitary place. But the thing was, somehow, sometimes, news travels faster than boat. (laughs) And this was one of those cases. And when Jesus arrived, he saw another large crowd had gathered. And it says, he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. I don't know about you. But when I'm looking for some alone time. And I feel like I need some alone time. And then I get interrupted. My first response is not usually compassion. (laughs) Especially, I mean. Would we blame Jesus if he had said. Guys, I traveled all the way across the lake to get just a minute. Could you just give me a minute? Come back tomorrow. We'll still be here. (laughs) Just give me a minute. Haven't you heard what happened? Would we have blamed him? Would they have blamed him? Probably not. Or, at the very least, he could have just said, Okay, guys, you're here. I'll give you a parable. And then go on your way. This seems to be kind of more in line with what the disciples were thinking. Uh, We can count on the disciples to be at least as pitiful as we are. (laughs) So, they said... uh, Well, they asked Jesus. I put the wrong verse up there. They came and said to Jesus... 
you know, hey, will you send them away? You know, actually what they said was, Jesus, these folks, they, they need to eat something. You know, they've been here a while. They, they need to eat something. Which I've got a feeling is kind of like when we're on the phone and we say, uh, hey, I'll let you go. Which sounds real nice, right? Like, just being considerate of, of your feelings and, and you might need to go do something important, so I'll let you go. But what we're really saying is, I'm done talking to you. <laughs> And I have a feeling that when the disciples came and they said, Jesus, these, these folks, they, they're getting hungry. They need to go on home and get something to eat. What they were really saying is, okay, we came over here for some alone time. This is nice. But it's time for them to go home. Why don't you send them on home? And Jesus responds, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You know, perhaps even you know more interesting. This was interesting to me anyway. I don't know if it'll be interesting to you. In John's recording of this, this story is recorded in all four gospel accounts of what Jesus did. And when John recorded it, he mentions that the disciple that found the guy with the loaves and the fish and brought him to Jesus was Andrew. And Andrew is also one of the disciples that we know that followed John the Baptist first. And when John the Baptist said, there's the Lamb of God, then he went and he followed Jesus. And I just think that it's interesting that one of the guys that we know for sure had to be hit hard by the news of John the Baptist just a few moments before is the one that says, okay, Jesus, I'll do what I can. And he goes and he starts hunting around to see what he can find. A couple of things I just want us to pull from this as we process this story and what it means for us. And the first and maybe most obvious thing is just how much Jesus cared and how deeply he cared. This is not an exception to the rule with Jesus. You read, again, encounter after encounter where Jesus makes time for people. He makes time. He, he senses their needs. He wants to meet their needs, whether it's a spiritual need or a physical need or both. He's just about the most caring person you've ever heard of. If you've ever read the gospel stories... This is why I think sometimes when people reject Christianity, they do it for the wrong reasons. Because they're either doing it because of some bad experience they had with the church, or some issue that they have with the Bible, or you know, something doesn't in the Old Testament didn't match up scientifically according to their college professor, and therefore the whole thing is bunk. You know, whatever the case may be. Whatever the reason, if the reason's not Jesus himself, it's a bad reason not to follow Jesus. But when you look at Jesus, how could you not want to follow someone who cares so deeply? 
about each and every person, even the people that nobody else was caring for, that no one else deemed worthy of caring for, that his society wouldn't even touch with a 10-foot pole, and Jesus goes and puts a hand on their shoulder and says, I care. The Father cares. He does more than just tell them, he shows them time and again. This is the Jesus who we claim to identify with, church. When we call ourselves a Christian or a Christ follower, we're saying we're a follower of this man. And this man is the most caring man you've ever met. So if we're not becoming more and more caring people, we're not doing much following At least not of Jesus. The second thing I think we should notice is that Jesus loved to pull his disciples in on this whole caring business. And he really didn't have much use for their excuses either. I'm sure that, I mean, they had lots of excuses they could have given. Well, Jesus, we just found out about John the Baptist. This is not a good time. Jesus, we don't have that kind of money to go buy all these people food, nor do we have the food. I don't know how you think we're going to do this, but we can't. Just emotionally, physically, resource-wise, we're bankrupt here. We can't do it. But he just says, do what you can do. You feed them. Tell me what you've got. Tell me what you can do, not what you can't do. And they said, well, we've got this little bit of nothing. He says, okay, bring it here. Now, do you think Jesus couldn't have said, someone out there in the crowd has five loaves and two fishes. Bring them forth, please. (laughs) I figure that he probably could have. But he wanted his disciples involved in this compassion business as well. And so he invited them into the process, even though it wasn't a convenient time for them, even though no doubt it stressed them out to think, how are we going to pull this off? He is always asking the impossible. (laughs) And yet in the end, there were 12 baskets left over. Everyone was satisfied. I believe that Jesus' invitation to his disciples to get involved with this whole caring deeply thing extends beyond the first century to the 21st century. In fact, if it was true of his disciples then and there when Jesus was walking on earth and able to physically touch people and they were able to see him standing across from him and see the care and the compassion in his eyes, I think he wants us involved even more now that he's called us to be his hands and feet in this time. His ambassadors in this time. We live in this period from when Jesus ascended and sent us his spirit and the time when he'll return and the kingdom will come in finality and completion. And while we live in this time, in this season, we are the hands and feet of Jesus 
We are the ones who, if people see that Jesus is a loving Jesus, it's going to be partly because they saw it in us. Lived out. And so we also are left without excuses, just as the disciples were left without excuses. I mean, we can say, well, we're just a small church. What can we do compared to First West? You know, they can build a whole caring center, you know, and bring people in in droves. We could say, you know, well, we just have a little bit of money, you know, we're stretched kind of thin right now. And we could say, well, Jesus, we're just kind of pretty busy just maintaining all the programs and ministries that we have going on here for us, you know. I mean, uh, it's not just an abundance of volunteers laying around, you know, to go do extra stuff. Which I think Jesus would say, extra stuff. (laughs) This is the stuff. Everything else is the extra stuff. But I think we're just... We're just left with as little excuse as those disciples had. I mean, surely we don't have it any worse than they had it when Jesus asked them to lend a hand. And the hand that they lent was not very impressive when you really look at it from our perspective, right? 5,000 people, they came up with five loaves and two fish. But look what Jesus did with it because they were faithful. And set out to show that Jesus cares. So I want to ask you. Personally. To consider this question. What can you do this week? To show someone. In a bold way. That you care. And therefore Jesus cares. And just let that question sink in for a little bit. And here in a few moments, when I finish up, we're going to have some time, just downtime of quiet music. And, and then a, we're going to show a video, a song on video that goes really well with this and what we've been talking about lately. And so you're going to have some time to process that question and hopefully write something down. Because when you write it down, uh, it's just more likely it'll happen. So I encourage you to write something down in that blank today. What can you do to boldly show someone just how much Jesus cares for them? And we as a church, we have to ask the same question as a church. What kinds of things can we do to increasingly show people how deeply Jesus cares for them? I came across a story from a church plant that we support in the St. Louis area. It's called The Table. And you may have heard about it uh, when we did our Faith Promise weekend. And it's part of what, if you give to our Faith Promise campaign, part of what you give goes to them each month to support what they're doing. And uh, they send out a a newsletter kind of thing from time to time. And this story fit in so well with what we're talking about today. And thought it would be a chance for you to get to know them a little bit and for us to be challenged a little bit. Because there's a lot of great things about an established church. 
And we have a lot of advantages in the way of resources and people and place to meet and all that kind of thing that a church plant struggles with. But there's things that a church plant can do and gets that sometimes we struggle with. And so we can certainly learn. Their lead pastor is John Simmons, and they meet on Saturday evenings in their home. Though I think they're about to outgrow that. Stretched pretty thin already, but here's what he wrote. A few Saturday evenings ago, I was grilling up some burgers and hot dogs for our weekly table gathering. Now, there's something we could learn from, right? I mean, if we had hamburgers and hot dogs every week. Okay. I was greatly anticipating eating, sharing, singing, and learning together with friends over the next couple of hours. I knew what I had prepared for that night. It was going to take every bit of the two hours to accomplish the event. And then it happened. Just to give you a little background, during the months of March and April, we learned all about how to be great neighbors. That was a series they went through. And for the past two months, the house next door to ours was being remodeled, and then it was for rent, and then it wasn't. And exactly six o'clock on that Saturday night, a moving truck pulled into the house next door. And as I was fighting through the smoke from the grill to finish up the burgers, I looked over to our new neighbor's driveway and saw a blue table shirt. They have t-shirts, say the table on them that they wear. And then another... And immediately the guys from the table went next door and helped to unload our neighbor's possessions. As I look back on my experience from an established church setting, I can't think of a time when service times were ever pushed back to help a neighbor. As I joined in on the impromptu moving party, I had a chance to meet our awesome new neighbors and her fourth grade son. And I just thought, you know, here's you know, the pastor's in the backyard grilling, <laughs> or wherever he was, and the church just went and did it. You know, and I thought, how cool that, I mean, they're a brand new church plant, and they already get it. You know, they, that's a value that they wanted to instill from the beginning, and it's already so instilled that he didn't even have to say anything. In fact, he was thinking about what needed to happen, what needed to happen, and they were like, this needs to happen. <laughs> and they just went and did it. That can be, that should be a challenge to us. And it's certainly a challenge to me because um, the more you get to know me and how I'm wired, you know, I'm, a, I'm a plans guy. <laughs> when the plan's there, let's not mess with the plan. I mean, the plan was the plan for a reason, right? So let's just stick with the plan. Maybe some of you are wired that way too. It stresses me out when the plan changes, usually. And so there may be times where you may have to say to me, Pastor, really, <laughs> don't you think this is more important than the plan? <laughs> and I might say, yeah, maybe. What do you think would happen if we increasingly figure this thing out of how to make people feel cared for with the love of Christ? I mean, we can't just... Caring is not just meeting in here and, and waiting for someone to show up at 1045 to hear stories like this and the truth preached at them. 
right? What do you think would happen if we... I mean, I've got to think that the results would be better than Chick-fil-A's results, right? <laughs> All they've got is chicken sandwich. <laughs> it's okay to dream a little bit, you know, of, of what it would look like, you know, what, it, what kind of difference it would make in someone's life when they get just a card that we write in on Wednesday nights like we've been doing. And just to say, hey, we're praying for you. A bunch of us are praying for you and what you're going through in your life right now. And we take that to someone who may not have a church family or know God at all. It's okay to, to dream a little bit about what happens when we serve at a place like Grace Place or CCM. And we give to those places and we partner with those places to just feed the hungry. It's okay to dream about what happens when we partner with a place like Mercy Ministries, who then pours into young women's lives and like literally saves their life from the path that they were on that was headed to, a lot of times, actual death or just a terrible excuse for living when you're just in hurt all the time. The list could go on and on. and It's okay. It's great for us to dream dreams about what it would look like if we think outside the box and we get outside the box and we start showing people how deeply we care because that's God's dream too. Because He does care and He showed us in no uncertain terms and we see it written all over Jesus when we read about Him. So what can we do as a church to boldly show our community just how much Jesus cares for them? Because when we care deeply, we put the love of Christ on display for the world. Let's pray. Father, help us, God, to care as much as you must care to send us both your son to save us and your spirit to fill us so that we can stand here today called children of God. You've cared so deeply for us. Help us, God, to care deeply for others. Amen.